Talk 1110-993 WBT, hour number two. Pete Callender here. 704-570-1110. Email is Pete at the Pete Callender Show.com. 1-800-WBT-1110. And you can follow me on Twitter at Pete Callender. And remember, get the podcast. It's totally free. Go to WBT.com or the Pete Callender Show.com and uh, it'll come right to your smartphone or tablet. Like Bernie's working on it right now. So the first hour is about to go out. He's nodding in approval or in, in agreement. Uh, of course, I wouldn't even know because I can't see his monitor from here. So he could totally be lying and I wouldn't know. But I assume he's working on it because it's usually up within like 10 uh, minutes after the hour ends. So uh, I mentioned in the first hour, which should be up shortly on the podcast, um, I mentioned in the first hour the level of distrust that people have on the right for any kind of investigation into political figures on the right precisely because of a track record now running six years of the way the DOJ and the FBI uh, was used – by the people in those agencies to try to take out Donald Trump. And and then to, and the evidence on this is clear. And look, you're, this is coming from, for people who want to say, oh, you're just a right winger and you're just a Trumper and all this. I did not vote for Donald Trump. I railed against him in the Republican primary, urging people not to vote for him. I thought he was going to get blown out by Hillary Clinton. So, uh, oh, and then uh, when the Russiagate stuff came out, when it was being reported on, I was said we should have the investigations. I've been, I've been consistent on all of this. And what the investigations found was pretty freaking horrible, right? Not, not that the suspicions of Donald Trump as a Putin puppet, not that, no. The way our the way our agencies, these law enforcement agencies, have been utterly corrupted at the highest levels. They are they they became uh, political organs if they weren't already before. They they were political organs for uh, for a well a media and Democrat body. So, Twitter files number fourteen dropped. Twitter Files 14 is called The Russia Gate Lies. Matt Taibbi uh, writing this one up. The fake tale of Russian bots and the release the memo hashtag. Do you remember that? Release the memo? Do you remember that big campaign? Release the memo. Release the memo. Do you remember what it was about? Here's a name from the recent past. Devin Nunes. Remember this? Remember the crap that Nunez got because he went down to the White House and told them, yo, there's some shady stuff going on. Wrote the memo and everyone's like, we need to see that memo. He's a Russian asset too. Everybody's a Russian. Everybody I disagree with is a Russian spy. That's where we are. And it all started with this. At a crucial moment in a years-long furor, Democrats denounced a report about flaws in the Trump-Russia investigation, saying it was boosted by Russian bots and trolls. Twitter officials were aghast, finding no evidence of Russian influence. 
Twitter warned politicians and media, but we repeat ourselves, that they not, not only lacked evidence, but had evidence that the accounts were not Russian at all. But all of those warnings were ignored. On January 18th, 2018, Republican Devin Nunes submitted a classified memo to the House, Intelli- uh, House Intelligence Committee detailing abuses by the FBI when it obtained the FISA Surveillance Authority against Trump-connected figures, Carter Page, right? Including the crucial role played by the infamous Steele dossier. So this was the classified memo to House Intel that Shifty Shift eventually uh, leaked, I believe. But um, this, the, the memo detailed the abuses during the FISA application process. The Nunes assertions would virtually all be verified in a report by Justice Department Inspector General Michael Horowitz a year later. But at the time, at the time, it was Russia, Russia, Russia. Nonetheless, national media in January and early February of 2018, when the when Nunes first wrote the memo, denounced him and his report in oddly identical language. It's not oddly identical, right? The talking point memo went out. Everybody called it, quote, a joke. That was their word that they used. They were all singing off the same script. It's all a joke. It's a bad joke. Uh, it's, uh, uh, the, the Nunes memo uh, ripped for the joke it is. The Onion is mad you're stealing their material. It's a joke and a sham. This is what the release the memo was all about. On January 23rd, uh, 2018, Senator Dianne Feinstein and Congressman Adam Schiff for Brains published an open letter saying that the hashtag, quote, gained the immediate attention and assistance of social media accounts linked to Russian influence operations. So they're saying that the release the memo hashtag that that was a Russian operation. Feinstein, is it Feinstein? Feinstein? Feinstein and Schiff said the Nunes memo distorts classified information, but they never did say it was not true. They just said it distorts information. Connecticut Senator Richard Blumenthal, stolen valor and all, followed suit, publishing a letter saying, quote, we find it reprehensible that Russian agents have so eagerly manipulated innocent Americans. Feinstein, Schiff, Blumenthal, or I guess that would be the FSB. Wait a minute. Feinstein, Schiff, and Blumenthal, their initials are FSB. Isn't that the name of the the Russian Secret Service or, or, or CIA or FBI comparison group is, agency? Isn't it? We are through the looking glass here, people. So the FSB, the three uh, Democrat leaders, uh, as well as media members, all pointed to the same source saying that this release, the memo, was uh, was some sort of a Russian campaign. I'm going to say this name, and you're going to go, oh, yeah, here it is. They all pointed to Hamilton 68. Remember that? The Hamilton 68 dashboard. Do you remember who that was created by? Do you know who, that, who created the Hamilton 68 dashboard? A former FBI counterintelligence official named Clint Watts under the auspices of the Alliance for Securing Democracy. 
So they said, his organization, they said, we figured out that this is all some Russian campaign. But inside Twitter, executives were looking at, like, you know, the facts, the evidence, the data. And they were like, mm, nah, no. First off, the executives at Twitter are like, Hamilton 68 is apparently the only source for this information. Everybody's citing Hamilton 68. And nobody's checking in with Twitter about it. It's kind of weird. Truth and Safety Chief Yoel Roth could not find any Russian connection to the release the memo hashtag at all. He said, I just reviewed the accounts that posted the first 50 tweets with the release the memo hashtag, and none of them show any signs of affiliation to Russia. Uh, We investigated. We found that engagement as uh, was overwhelmingly organic, and it is driven by VITs. That is uh, the acronym that the Twitter people used for very important tweeters, VITs, including Congressman Steve King and WikiLeaks. They were driving it. Now, maybe WikiLeaks, you could say, is a cutout for Russia. Okay, but whatever. When Twitter spoke to a Blumenthal staffer, the, uh, the, they tried to wave off the politician, they were like, yo, yo, tell your boss, we don't think these are bots. This doesn't look like they're bots. And then they said it might be worth nudging that that staffer, Blumenthal staffer, that it could be in his boss's best interest not to go out there because it could come back and make him look silly. This is what, they tra- this is what the Twitter people were saying. Hey, you know, you really need to talk to Blumenthal. And you're like, oh, I was talking to a staffer and I said, look, we don't think these are bots. Trying to, you know, get him off of this because it's not... It's not true. And apparently it didn't take. And so Twitter people are talking amongst themselves and they're like, hey, you should totally tell that staffer guy that his boss is going to look silly if he keeps pushing this. Ah, oh, big mistake there. Big mistake there. First off, um, yeah, Blumenthal is, is kind of a clown anyway, so that doesn't really matter. But also being a Democrat means you are never made to look silly by the legacy media. No, that's they reserve that like or or. Uh, or, or the late night shows or anything, all of that stuff's reserved for the right. They, they make all of their jokes at the expense of, uh, of the right. They, they, they're not going to make you look silly. So it didn't take. So Blumenthal was not convinced. The staffer wasn't convinced. They, and the Twitter people got more and more frustrated over what they saw as a circular process. This is going to sound awfully familiar. A circular process. When presented with claims of Russian activity, even when Twitter would deny them and show it wasn't, it wasn't correct, that would prompt more claims. It just kept going. It's a conspiracy theory. And any evidence, even evidence that disproves the theory, is now deemed to be evidence that the theory is true. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. So the White House press briefing is going on right now. Let's take a listen. Better since even the prospect of not raising the debt ceiling will have de- damage uh, the full faith and the credit of our nation. Oh, my gosh. She's uh, even better reading this stuff. We are going to continue to, uh, to encourage Congress to act. But as far as the steps and, and how this all works, I would refer to the Department of Treasury. Six days till the 19th. A few years ago, she did it. All right, so that's, uh, this is Karine Jean-Pierre. 
the uh, White House uh, press secretary, and earlier she was asked several different questions about uh, GarageGate and the documents and the different stashes that were found. And basically every single answer she's reading the same, literally, you could see her reading the same response, and it is, uh, she's referring it. Uh, she's referring everybody to the DOJ and the White House General Counsel. She's not going to talk about any specifics at all about any of it. By the way, remember one of the things about Donald Trump when uh, uh, they went after him over the documents? Do you remember uh, one of the the punishments is that you you get removed from office and you can never seek office again? And everybody was saying, "Ooh, uh, blew in on people." Are like, this is it. We're going to keep him from running again. So maybe, I don't know, maybe that would apply for Joe Biden, too. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, Michael says, Pete, Joe Biden, redefining what vetting process means. Good one. Uh, all righty, so back to the, uh, the latest installment of the Twitter files. This is number uh, 14. Twitter files number 14. Executives eventually grew frustrated over what they saw as a circular process. Presented with claims of Russian activity on Twitter being used to uh, spread this hashtag, release the memo back in 2018 or 19. Um, And all of these claims that come from the Alexander 68 group, which was founded by a former FBI guy, counterintelligence person. um, They got denied by Twitter when Twitter looked at the accounts. They're like, this is actually organic. These are just people that are amplifying this thing. And even when Twitter told them, it just led to more claims by Democrats and the media. But I repeat myself. Eventually, Twitter staff realized that Senator Blumenthal isn't, there's a quote, Blumenthal isn't looking for real and nuanced solutions, but, quote, just wants to get credit for pushing us further. What are politics? See, this is one of those problems. When you have the blinders on, you can't see how you're being manipulated for a political end when you think that the person is your political ally. Ultimately, senior executives talked about, quote, feeding congressional trolls, as in don't do it, and compared their situation to the children's book titled, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. (laughs) Have Have you heard of this book? If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? I have, I have never heard of this. I should ask Chris, because Chris has kids. Have you ever? He you never heard of the book either. No. What about you, Bernie? Did you read this book? You don't remember the book either. Give a, if you give a mouse a cookie. It looks pretty cute. Here's the premise: If you give a mouse a cookie, he'll want a glass of milk, which will lead to a wave of other exhausting requests. At the end of which, he'll want a glass of milk. And one more cookie. There's something to be said there. Like, there's a life lesson, I think, in this book, right? If you, it's the give them an inch, they'll take a mile kind of thing. You know, if you give a mouse a cookie, they just keep wanting more and more and more and more, just like GovCo. Despite universal internal conviction that there were no Russians in this story, Twitter went on to follow a slavish pattern of not challenging Russia claims on the record. Reporters from the AP to Politico to NBC to Rolling Stone continued to hammer the Russian bots theme despite a total lack of evidence. Here's a headline from the AP. Um, 
Russian Twitter accounts push release the memo conservative meme, researchers say. Again, this is just Hamilton 68. Nail in the coffin for Nunez memo. Release the memo. What's the conspiracy behind the right-wing meme? These were all the headlines that were being released. Russians weren't just blamed for release the memo. They were also blamed for another hashtag campaign, Schumer shutdown. You remember that one? The Schumer shutdown? Because the Democrats were trying to make it, what would they call it? The I forget who was the... I don't remember when that was. The Schumer shutdown, it was instead it was in lieu of a Trump shutdown. Was that it? Or a McConnell shutdown or GOP shutdown? Or how about this one? They were also blamed for the hashtag Parkland shooting and gun control now. This is what the blue and honors were pushing. See, media doesn't look at the wild conspiracy theories of the left. Like they look at the conspiracy theories on the right. They don't. They don't treat them the same. That's why you get these, you know, in-depth analyses on QAnon to debunk QAnon and Alex Jones and all that. And by the way, like, go for it. Take a theory, test it, see what pans out. Oh, look at that. Alex Jones, he's basically just a pill salesman masquerading as a radio host. Fantastic, right? You find out... You get closer to the truth, let's say. You get closer to the truth when you have different people examining it. It's almost like it's the Fauci, you know? This is the Fauci, this is the science, sorry. It's the science, right? It's like science where you test hypotheses. We should want to keep doing that. But when it comes to these these theories, these conspiracy theories on the left, that's why I call it Blue Anon. It's QAnon, but for Democrats, but they never get subjected to the kind of examination that the right-wing conspiracy theories get. Even though, internally, at Twitter, they said both had all of the hashtags, the Schumer shutdown, the release, the memo, they said Twitter was like, these are organically trending. We're not doing anything about this. NBC, Politico, AP, New York Times, Business Insider, and other media outlets who played up the Russian bot story, even Rolling Stone, all declined to comment for Matt Taibbi, as did the staffs of FSB, Feinstein, Schiff, and Blumenthal. Who did comment to Matt Taibbi? Devin Nunes did. Quote, Schiff and the Democrats falsely claimed Russians were behind the release the memo hashtag, all my investigative work. By spreading the Russia collusion hoax, they instigated one of the greatest outbreaks of mass delusion in U.S. history. This release the memo episode is just one of many in the Twitter files, says Matt Taibbi. The Russiagate scandal was actually built on the craven dishonesty of politicians and reporters who for years ignored the absence of data to fictional scare headlines so where does Nunes go to get his reputation back where does he go to get damages recovered where do the American people go to get the truth because they darn sure aren't getting it from the these media outlets right I said it before Elon Musk bought a crime scene he thought he was buying a social media company
Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. Let's drop in on the uh, White House press briefing, see if there's anything uh, happening. When it comes to uh, issues like this, legal issues, that is something that the Department of Justice uh, deals with. Again, they are independent. Uh, so I would refer you to them on their decision. Uh, the president continues to be committed uh, on uh, making sure that we address an issue that is affecting families across the country, communities across the country, which is gun violence. That's why it was so critical when he signed the bipartisan. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, one of the things, she has these motions that she does, like her her hand expressions, and you know everybody's got things that they do. I have them. I recognize that, and some people probably get agitated by uh, verbal ticks and crutches that I have. Um, and most of them are related to me, like these people that are most. Anyway, uh, so like that's one right there. When I say anyway, that's a that's a crutch. That's a it's a bridge word that I use to get to another thought. It's a reset. Everybody has it. Well, except Limbaugh. Limbaugh, like, guy was flawless. <laughs> he didn't really. He did. Like, I can hear. If I listen to somebody long enough, I'm going to hear him. I'm going to pick him out. And I never heard Limbaugh's. So, anyway, um, the this woman, I just did it again. See that? The This woman, Karine Jean-Pierre, at the White House, uh, she she does these things with her hands where, it's like, she almost does a. Uh, I don't know what you would call her. She has, like, she opens up her fingers wide, and then she kind of does, uh, she kind of bends the fingers down, and then kind of, almost like she's doing an isometric, you know, where, like, you put your fingers together and you push against them real hard, but she never makes contact, so she's just kind of, like, doing it, like, she's almost like she's grabbing a really big ball, one in each hand. Like, she's got her hands on these two large balls, and she's just, like, and she's just kind of squeezing them. I don't know. It's it's just something she does. And then she does this thing with her head where she bobs the head like up and down as if the point she's making is super important and really insightful and instructive and responsive because I'm nodding my head and then and I'm blinking my eyes like down and while I'm reading this this prepared sentence not you know not very you know, I'm reading this sentence, you know, not very well. She's just awful. <laughs> She's just awful. So the Washington Post says, uh, you know, hey, uh, remember that uh, big government uh, media freak out over disinformation? Uh, uh, never mind. That's according to Ed Morrissey over at hotair.com. Writing the other day, he says, when the freakout over the Russia-generated Facebook and Twitter memes began in late 2016, I repeatedly asked one basic question. Where is the evidence that these campaigns changed even one single vote? This has been, this has been the most amazing thing. You, you talk to people. Even now, people on the left, blue and on people on, on the left believe, and I, I believe it's still actually a majority of Democrat voters think that Russia gave the election to Trump in 2016. That's the reason Hillary lost. But the answer has always been there's no evidence of that. The memes of Hillary Clinton fighting Jesus turned out not to be game changers after all. Who would have thought? Right? Who are the, Think about this. And maybe I, I don't think I'm very smart on these things, but maybe because I work in radio and marketing and advertising, it is all kind of the same milieu. And so I guess maybe I have some particular insight here, but who are you talking to? Right? That's the 
that's the question you should always be kind of asking yourself when you're doing any kind of work like this. Who are you talking to? Me? I'm talking to you and only you. It's just us. You could tell me. What are your passwords? It's totally fine. Well, just in case you get locked out, you could totally send them to me. 704-570-1110. Call with your passwords. Strong passwords. Would love to know... <laughs> Security questions and answers. I Okay. Do not send me your passwords. I'm just kidding. It's just a joke. So you want to know who you're talking to. You always want to think about who you're talking to. And why would you think that a Russian campaign, even if funded to the tune of millions and millions of dollars, who do you think is being persuaded by Hillary Clinton fighting Jesus in a meme, in a, in a gif, right, in a little movie? Or a picture. Who, who, who's who's the persuadable person there? She already she won the popular vote. So what? The Russians micro-targeted certain precincts in Pennsylvania. Was it the Russian memes and the uh, the the Internet Research Agency, the IRA, their their troll farm? They're the reason she didn't go to Wisconsin in 2016 during the campaign. So there was a study now done, and the Washington Post reported on it. To their credit, they reported on it. It was conducted uh, by the New York University Center for Social Media and Politics. It explores the limits of what Russian disinformation and misinformation was able to achieve uh, on a major one major social media platform in the 2016 election. And Josh Tucker, one of the report's authors said, quote, my personal sense coming out of this is that this got way overhyped. <gasps> no. Really? Man, I wonder how that happened. Quote, now we're looking back at data and we see how concentrated this was in one small portion of the population and how the fact check, or sorry, and how the fact that people who were being exposed to these, they were really, really likely to vote for Trump. <laughs> Right. The Russians micro-targeted Trump voters with pro-Trump ads. Kind of a waste of money. And then we have this data to show that we can't find any relationship between being exposed to these tweets and people's change in attitudes. Right. So when people saw the tweets, even if they weren't already pro-Trump, it didn't convince them. Why didn't anybody try to answer that question from the very beginning? One prominent figure actually did raise the question. Mark Zuckerberg, of all people, Facebook founder, he scoffed at the idea in 2017. He scoffed at uh, this idea that a handful of trolls and a few uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars in stupid memes had more impact on an election than the candidates and the campaigns that spent $2 billion combined on wall-to-wall advertising and massive direct contacts. At the time, Zuckerberg challenged the media and Congress to produce some evidence of causation. Show me a direct link of causation. And, of course, they couldn't do it. Um, There's a book, Bernstein, Bernstein, Disinformed, How We Get Fake News Wrong. He says uh, that there is this juncture now of media, academia, and policy research. It's called big disinfo. It's kind of uh, EPA for content. It seeks to expose 
the spread of various sorts of, quote, toxicity on social media platforms. The downstream effects of this spread and the platform's clumsy, dishonest, and half-hearted attempts to halt it is it's an environmental cleanup project. It presumes a harm model of content consumption. It just assumes that. That if you see the meme of Hillary fighting Jesus, that you're going to now vote for Donald Trump. Tech companies and select media organizations all stand to gain from the big disinformation, big disinfo worldview. They all stand to gain from it. The content giants like Facebook and Twitter and Google, they've been trying for years to leverage the credibility and expertise of certain forms of journalism through fact-checking and media literacy initiatives, right? The disinformation project is simply an unofficial partnership between big tech, corporate media, elite universities, and cash-rich foundations. So if you are wondering why the fact-checkers don't have any credibility amongst people on the right, this is why. Among other reasons, namely your inability to detect lies told by the left, but this is a big reason why. We understand that this is occurring. We understand this game. We see it. And so you don't have credibility. I'm sorry this is happening to you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I mentioned this the other day. Rich Lowry at National Review said the same people who pride themselves on rigorously insisting on the facts, ideally explained in the dulcet tones of an NPR anchor, are happy to embrace conspiracy theories supportive of their own worldview. I call it Blue Anon. This is why the idea that Russian disinformation on social media influenced or even decided the 2016 election, why it's gained such purchase, even though a new study finds, unsurprisingly, no evidence for it at all. The overwhelming focus on the Russian influence operation in the wake of 2016 was classic conspiratorial thinking, right? You get some sort of an unusual or unwelcome event, right? Something bad happens, and in their world, that was Trump's shocking victory. Think of the person screaming, no, as Trump was inaugurated, right? He swore to uphold the oath, right? Um, Or he took the oath. Um, That was attributed to the machinations of a small, shadowy group of malefactors. Something bad happens. I don't like it. And so I'm going to construct a conspiracy around why this bad thing happened, because surely it couldn't have happened otherwise. This fevered notion fueled Democratic 2016 election denialism, catalyzed a federal investigation into Trump that was senseless and disruptive, created a cottage industry of supposed disinformation experts. It pushed social media companies into exercising rank political censorship in the name of fact-based content moderation. It led to the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story. And it distorted the work of the FBI, which made itself an adjunct of the progressive crusade against such supposedly pervasive and incredibly consequential disinformation. The effects of all of this are still with us today. The panic that we saw over disinformation is the backdrop now to like all of these stories from the Twitter files. 
And we're now going to get hearings. Right? We're going to get hearings on the weaponization of the federal agencies. House Republicans say they're going to do this. The new report that came out by Nature Communications, which is affiliated with the famous journal Nature, right? It's the product of a years-long research project by New York University's Center for Social Media and Policies or Politics. For technical reasons, the study focuses on Twitter, although surely its findings are more generally applicable. It found that even though the scale of the Russian effort sounds vast, they said, oh, 32 million Twitter users were exposed to Russia-sponsored posts. And that was just the people who saw Hunter Biden with the Russian hookers. That's the, I'm kidding, I'm just kidding. They weren't Russian. We don't know that. All right. Um, according to the report, oh, sorry, 32 million users were, were exposed to it, right? The problem is that the reach and the measurable effect is actually negligible. According to the report, 1% of people on Twitter accounted for 70% of the exposure to the tweets. So 1% of all the people actually saw it. And 10% saw 90, they account for 98% of the exposure. So 90% of the people on Twitter never saw it. In other words, there was not a widespread phenomenon here. The median exposure to Russian accounts the last month of the election was actually zero. As one might expect, the Russian accounts were, quote, overshadowed by at least an order of magnitude by content from ordinary domestic political news media and U.S. political candidates. Right. Right. The normal sources, the normal platforms where people go to get their news, this is what people relied on to get their news. It wasn't Russian disinformation that gave Trump the victory. Turns out that the troll farm, the the Russian troll farm, the IRA, the Internet Research Agency, they didn't know how to target swing voters in America. Seems kind of weird if that was the goal, but (laughs) they didn't know how to do it. They disproportionately targeted strong Republican accounts. The study found uh, naturally, uh, quote, the relationship between the number of posts from Russian foreign influence accounts that users are exposed to and voting for Donald Trump is near zero. Nor did Russian posts influence attitudes towards the issues or drive increased polarization. So in the end, it turns out that the biggest success of the Russian operation was driving a segment of American political opinion completely mad. Think about that. Lowry's exactly right. The Russian troll farm, the IRA, they, right, we, we were led to believe they set out to corrupt the minds of all of these Americans into voting for Trump. They actually targeted Trump voters, though, who already were on board with Trump. They didn't convince anybody else to go vote for Trump. But in the process, what did they actually succeed in doing? They created this narrative, this false narrative, a conspiracy theory around Donald Trump and Russia collusion. And so maybe the, uh, the New York University Center for Social Media and Politics, guys, maybe you were operating under a flawed assumption that the IRA's goal was to influence the election outcome. Maybe it was to influence leftists. 
Thank you.